This is September 1st, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and it's weird when I say it's September 1st and the Bruins season is over. You Normally, September 1st would be the start of, hey, let's talk some training camp. Uh, but this year, obviously, much different. Bruins eliminated in Game 5 on Monday night. The reason this is coming out later was because I didn't want uh, Bruins Beat to come out. I didn't want to record Bruins Beat on Monday and talk about Game 5 uh, and then have them lose it just didn't make a lot of sense, so I said, why don't I just wait to wait till thir- Tuesday morning to record it and release it Tuesday afternoon. Uh, figured you guys would not mind. Hopefully that stands. So um, obviously a lot to take away from this one, and I think over the next few weeks, we'll, this podcast will sort of break down what went wrong while also kind of appreciating the 2019-20 Bruins, which, again, this didn't feel like the 2019-20 Bruins. It felt like a different season. Uh, just because of the layoff in between, but nonetheless, all the same season. Uh, and so we'll sort of be dissecting that in this episode. We dice, you know, we, we dive into why the Bruins lost to the Lightning as well as looking to the future. Obviously, the story after game five was, is the Dano Char coming back? Is Tori Krug coming back? Also, Tuka Rask. I think this is something people might be not looking at too closely. Is there something there? Is, is he going to retire? Is he, you know, is there something up with the team and him? I, you know, we can't say that for sure. We don't know, but that's always something we have to kind of take into account. Uh, and I think after this one, uh, after this season, we definitely should. So there's a lot of questions surrounding this team going forward. This offseason is going to be really hectic, like really hectic. Um, and so obviously we'll have you covered here. On today's episode, I had WBZ's Michael Hurley. Uh, so we had a great conversation about all that stuff. He's great when it comes to sort of, uh, giving eulogies for uh, teams when they lose. So I figured I'd have him on. Uh, before we get into the conversation, sports just keep on coming back. And then so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball uh, is back this summer and is in full swing, and there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And as sports start to return, BetOnline has sat down with Eddie George from the NFL, Robert Horry, seven-time NBA champ, and Harold Reynolds from Major League Baseball to get their opinions on what it will be like playing without fans. And we've seen this now in what they have called the pandemic. Visit betonline.ag uh, today to check out all the uh, all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. They also, also have tons of lines on basketball, on hockey. If you still want to bet on the Stanley Cup, even though your Boston Bruins are out, by all means, go for it and use our promo code uh, CLNS50. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Michael Hurley. And we're here with Michael Hurley. Now, before we get into this, Mike, before I ask you what is up, the last time you were on was right after the Bruins lost Game 7. Really? Really? 2019 Stanley Cup final. So now you are on it for the second straight year to eulogize them in your beautiful way. Uh, Mike, how are you? I'm like Dr. Doom on this podcast. It's like if I come around, it's it's not the day. It's like walking through the graveyard. It is. That's what that is what you do. You come in and you you you, you break down what went wrong and all that stuff. I think last last year when we did this, 
we uh, we discussed a really depressing topic. Where does the 2019 Cup final rank um, among all uh, Boston sports losses? I think we put it like number one or number two, very high on the list. Mm. Um, but so this year, Bruins lose in game five uh, to the Lightning in a short series that we did not expect would be so short uh, in this series. What did you make of this? Whole thing? Well, first, I'm sorry. My publicist has come by. She she doesn't allow me to do any interviews without her, so say hello. Hi. Nice hello. Job. That's Penelope. All right. You're going to go eat your lunch? Cool. I'm kind of glad I didn't have to go through Penelope to interview you. I might not have yeah, you happens. went right to the source. She's a tough – she drives a hard bargain. Bye, Penny. <laughs> um, so I feel like we're going to speak in in sort of generalities about this and sort of make grand statements about the Lightning are the better team, the Bruins aren't there. And it's true. I think when you lose 4-1 to one twice in three years to the same team, you're not – at that team's level, they're a bad matchup for you. But also, I mean, with this series, what's kind of incredible is that you had two overtime games. And I think you know as well as I do, overtime in the Stanley Cup playoffs is often about a break, a bounce, a screen, a a deflection, any sort of, you know, luck, which I think teams do create, but it's still luck. So I think the fact that they were in overtime in two of those games does make them closer than I think all of us are going to conceptualize. We're all going to say over the next few months, like, oh, they're just not on Tampa's level. They're not they're, they're not as far as we're going to make them out to be. That's what I think. To me, you did not lose this series in this series. The Bruins lost this series in February. They lost this series at the trade deadline. You, the, you knew you were going to play the Lightning at some point. Even in the normal postseason format, it was a given you were going to play Tampa. You know, you were going to get past the first round. Lightning were going to get past the first round. You were going to play each other in the second round for the second time in three years. And you didn't kind of create that arms race. You know, we normally see teams, you know, when you're, you know, Red Sox and Yankees competing against each other for signing people. There really wasn't a lot of that. I mean, the Bruins lost out on Blake Coleman. And then, you know, they go out and get Andre Kasha to dump David Backus' salary. And then they go out and get Nick Ritchie. Whereas the Lightning go out and they get Barkley Goodrow, who they kind of overpaid for. They get Coleman. They also signed Bogosian, which was a very good depth defensive signing. And they solidify their third line. You don't. And you also get a second line right winger who can't score. So the Bruins at this deadline, we will look back on. They got more of what they already had. Big lugs who don't really contribute a lot. Nick Ritchie. And Andre Kasha, who is great, skilled, fits well next to Krejci, but can't score a goal to save his own life. So you have – they did not acquire anything new per se. I mean, Krejci – Kasha was better on Krejci's right side. But you did not match up to Tampa's additions at the trade deadline. Tampa did more, and they got rewarded for it. Yeah, I have to – you know, not to be a retrospective criticizer, but I really have to question the the talent assessment of Andre Kasha because – the way I put it is David Krejci, we know, is an absolute wizard. He is His vision on the ice is unbelievable. So Kasha had all these attempts in the playoffs, all these great chances, and people are saying, wow, he's playing great. He's just got to finish. It's like, well, is he? Because David Krejci turned Milan Lucic into a 30-goal scorer. Like, that's that's the type of power Krejci wields with that stick, and Kasha had zero goals as a Bruin. So uh, certainly not what they were looking for there. I know they were looking to get better five-on-five, not the guy to do it, I take it. And then, you know, the Richie thing, it's funny because last year, remember in the whole playoffs, it was like, oh, is, 
is uh, they need toughness. They need toughness. Dress David Backus. And it's like, yeah, David Backus is tough as hell, but he's not like a 6'4", 230-pound bruising forward. Who can, he'll, 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 he'll literally die on the ice if you ask him to. So, like, yeah. all respect to David Backus's toughness. He's just not the physical player that that you need in a playoff series to dump it in and pound the defenseman. And the Bruins have not had that size now. And the weirdest thing, I think, to me, two years you come away, you lose series where the other team was bigger than the Bruins, was heavier than the Bruins, was more physically imposing than the Bruins. Coincidentally, both times, Pat Maroon was laughing in their faces the entire time. Um, But that's not the Bruins we grew up on. That's not the Bruins that have been established for decades you know, the big bad Bruins for two years in a row, they were kind of like the 2011 Canucks just kind of getting pushed around. This year was probably less so, but still they weren't more physical than a team wearing like a soft baby blue jersey with a lightning bolt on it. And that's a strange sight to see. So, I mean, they tried it with Nick Ritchie, but he doesn't know how to do it uh, as evidenced by his hit in game four, uh, despite Bruce Cassidy's objection. So definitely you can see what they were going for there, but I think they swung too uh, too far in the other way uh, with with being slow and big and heavy. They wanted to go small and skilled. I think they went maybe a little too far in that direction where they've gotten out physical, to use a terrible sports cliche, two years in a row. Well, the thing is, like, the, again, in this series, there were a few games where they out-hit Tampa. But it doesn't matter. Okay, the hit's fine. So be it. But the issue is – you can't get to the front of the net. Like part of being a big phys- you know, like the Bruins need to be more physical. Okay. So let's hit everything that moves. Okay, fine. But that means you don't have the puck. And that also means that you, you know, it didn't do anything. You lost four to one. And on top of that, you know, main part of that physical thing is you got to find a way to the front of the net. And against that Tampa blue line where you have big guys like Hedman, Sergachev, Shattenkirk, McDonough, Bogosian, Cernak. These are big dudes. It's not Grizzlick and Krug. Nothing against them. But it's easier to get to the front of the net against guys like that than it is against uh, the Tampa's Tampa's decor. So the issue really is you need guys big enough to get to the front of the net. And again, Nick Ritchie's a big dude who can you know knock some guys around. You know, he can chase he chases the play, but he's not getting to the front of the net. And I think that's something they need to focus on is who you need to find people who can get to the front of the net, who can bring the puck um, into those high danger areas. They couldn't do it against Tampa. Yeah, and I think they've become for two years now just wholly dependent on the uh, on the power play, which is great when you get your penalties. But as you saw, I think Bruce Cassidy, Bruce Cassidy's post games this series was kind of desperation uh, because he was. Working the refs after a 7-1 loss is an unprecedented move, I believe, in the history of uh, any sport, really. Um, obviously, when the linesman is in the way of your guy playing defense, that's one thing. But uh, for the most part, I found that to just be – I don't blame him for trying it because it worked for Barubi last year. But it's a team that is wholly dependent on scoring on the main advantage because five-on-five – they are what they are. I mean, Pasternak will pot one every now and then, or, or Martian will make an incredible play. That line can score five-on-five. Five, but uh, we saw Krejci working without wingers all year was was a problem. Poor Charlie Coyle. I think Charlie Coyle's an incredible ice hockey uh, centerman. Uh, it's just sad that he's had to work. I mean, and again, I'm not to, like, completely disrespect these guys, but to go out there in a playoff game with Nick Ritchie or Anders Bjork or, you know, Studnika, who I thought was probably the best of the bunch, which isn't saying much in the playoffs – it's kind of a waste of coil. Like you're almost better off putting them on Krejci's wing and just rolling two lines and seeing what happens. So the team 
was too dependent on that, I think, for two years. And you're not in control of penalties. You're not in control of the other team's discipline. You're not in control of what's called and what's not called. And then you kind of have to – you put that pressure on yourself to be perfect. So to get to your point about getting the front of the net, absolutely. Uh, Vasilevsky was good in this series. But, I mean, they, they the Bruins really put uh, – they stretched the boundaries of the theory that there's no such thing as a bad shot in their Game 5 loss because everything was from distance. Everything was seen. Everything was clean. You might sneak one through in that situation, but Vasilevsky was just solid there. And they they never made him work too hard. And when they did, they scored. So – um, is that size though, or is it coaching and strategy? Because to me, one of the best guys in this run, in this Bruins era of getting in front of the net was Mark Recchi, who at that point was like five foot five, uh, couldn't skate, had no neck whatsoever, but he was willing to endure. No neck. <laughs> no neck. It was just all the years of getting beaten down in the NHL, but he would plant himself in front of that net at 40, 41, 42, take the abuse that comes with it. And he taught those guys a lot, like, you know, being on, on Bergeron and Marchand's line, he taught those guys a lot about toughness in the NHL, I think. And that's a big reason why that team won a Stanley Cup, the leadership that that showed. And after that, uh, in like the next iteration or generation of this Bruins run, the best guy at standing in front of the net and, and during that punishment was Louis Erickson, who's a guy who's not known for being tough or strong or big. He would have uh, absorbed the abuse in front of the net. He would get beaten up. But he would stand there and he would tip shots and he would screen goalies. And and I think that is strategy, effort, willingness more so than size. I mean, you, it's great when you have a guy that can plant himself there. But uh, if you have someone who's willing to do it, it can make a huge different difference. And that's not really how those top two lines are built. The the third and fourth line, I don't really know how they're built. Uh, and that's that's, I think, the end result is not getting what you need in front. I also think a part of it is, you know, good Stanley Cup team a team that makes a real run has four set lines that you can rely on and I felt the Bruins never really had their third line uh intact you know as we said you know Nick Ritchie Andres Bjork Jack Sednica Sean Corrali just kind of rotated through if you gave I mean look at what Coyle did last offseason and this goes back to the trade deadline acquisitions you know Johansson stuck Coyle stuck put him with Heinen that was a set third line and they were great especially in those first two rounds and especially against Columbus Huge reasons why they won. Again, that's secondary scoring, something the Bruins almost had none of um, against the Lightning. And again, the Lightning are the best. Like, I think this is one of the myths that went around with this team during the year was they won the President's Trophy, and people thought that automatically made them the best team in hockey, like on paper as well. They weren't. They weren't. I mean, the Lightning were better than you from the start, in my opinion. I mean, the Lightning did win three or four, so. They did. The and that's, that's, that's the other thing. Like, and and just like on paper, I mean, you look at that roster, you know, I mean, no, I mean, every part, I mean, you have, you know, you, the first line, Kucherov, um, Kucherov, Palat, and, uh, and Bryn Point, who I think might have been the best player in this series. Um, second line, you know, you've got Alex Kalorn, Tyler Johnson, Anthony Sorelli, who is a lot of people compare to Bergeron. You know, and you have that third line and that in the fourth line, Pat Maroon laughing in your face for a second straight year can't be fun. Um, but I think there were a lot of things that went wrong for the Bruins in the series, but again, it go, to me, it goes back to the deadline. You just did not do enough uh, back then. So, but I do want- you think, and I agree with you there, but do you think, I mean, Blake Coleman, obviously, I think he had two goals in what game, the seven goal game. Was Coleman the difference or was Goodrow the difference? I, I don't, maybe, like maybe, I don't know. That third, that third, having that set third line. That's able to pin uh, pin the opposition in the in their own zone for large strengths of times. Uh, the the Lightning put that line up against the Bergeron line, 
and really helped neutralize in the entire series five on five. So to me, that's absolutely a line that makes a difference. Now, I don't know how they work with the Bruins. You know, I don't know if the Bruins are going to give up. A, they didn't have two firsts to give up. I don't know if they're giving up a first to San Jose for Barkley Goodrow. Like that's yeah. not worth a first round pick. But there are, there were other people out there. I mean, you know, there was Coleman. There was Kreider, even though that probably might not have happened. I mean, if you go back to it, there were other things. Kreider, Kreider ended up getting like $79 million from the Rangers yeah. for the next 50 years, I think. They they gave him a fat new deal. So, yeah. But, again, like Coyle wasn't on the radar to get traded at last deadline. I mean, the Bruins found a way to get him. Yeah. So there were ways they maybe yeah, could Yeah, no doubt. And I think, deal. to your point, the the effect, the, 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 the wearing down of that top line, Pasternak in double overtime couldn't stay on his skates in game five. Pasternak like he was, looked hurt this series. I I think, I don't know if it's the conditioning or the offseason or missing the two weeks or whatever it was in the ramp up. He should have been similar to his teammates at the point of the fifth game of the second round, but he couldn't stay on his skates in double overtime. He was dead. You saw Cassidy trying to sort of manage it and, and, and juggle the lines. The the commentators were giving giving him credit for juggling the lines. I think Pasternak needed rest. Um, So whether that was him or whether that was the lightning wearing him down, the end result was a dead tired Pasternak in double overtime with the season on the line. And when you kind of only rely on your top line to score, that's a, that's a, that's a bad recipe. That's not a great uh, recipe for success. It's also what happens when you go against Victor Hedman every shift. Uh, Victor Hedman, How about obviously right before, like probably three minutes before the game-winning goal, when Hedman just walked in, just like with a red carpet yes. laid out to the net, it was yes. like, holy crap. I don't know how – I mean, all Halak really had to do was hold his ground but it still was like one of the, it looked like the end of a movie where like the bad guy's about to just like pull the trigger on the protagonist there. Like it was so, it was like slow motion. I'm surprised Hedman didn't score there. So then I wasn't surprised when he did score, whatever it was, three minutes later. Yes, it was uh, Jack Stanika's guy. And Jack Stanika kind of just stood in the slot trying to eliminate the pass. <laughs> and it's like, so you're just going to let him get an open shot, uncontested, right to Halak. Um, Victor Hedman, it's, Vic, it's, uh, 70, it's Victor Hedman right there. Step out, maybe. But, yeah. Let, oh, let him go to the net. Let him go Halak, to the net. Halak was pretty good. Got to give him credit for that. Halak was great in game five. And, again, I, I mean, I, here's the thing. I don't know if, looking back now at the series, I don't know if it was ever realistic to think that Halak was going to be able to pull out four games similar to games five and game one um, to beat the Lightning. I mean, there were too many soft goals in there. But, again, but would Rask, there's no would scoring. Rask, look at Rask's history versus the Lightning. It's not like he's been good against them. So, I, I, I honestly don't know. Obviously, the bad goals were the bad goals. We understand that, and the 7-1 loss was a disaster. But when you look at this and you say, how far would they have made it with Tuca? Tuca's history versus Tampa isn't exactly glowing. Uh, you'd rather have him than not have him. But I don't know that ultimately this series ends differently. Well, and even if even if that's in May, you know? Well, see, I think if this series happened in May, I think Rask gives you a better chance than Halak does. I think now, with if Rask was still there with one foot out the door and one foot in, I think then Halak does give you the better chance. I mean, that's something people, a lot of people are just saying. I'd rather have Halak all in than Rask kind of 50-50 eh, in. What so, if Rask shows up to Toronto and is psychotic, locked in the entire time? Just like laser-focused? Are they, are they getting by Tampa? I don't know if you're getting by Tampa, but I think there's a better chance. Now, however, the one thing is I don't think Rask lets in those soft goals, but the, the, the high danger chances that Halak is somehow very good at, I don't know if Rask makes those saves. I agree. But I do think you like are even more competitive. It, early in game five, I feel like Tampa had like three shots from the goal mouth that they did. were like just goals. And if Tuka's there, those are probably goals. 
Uh, yes, I mean, I also, it's, it's it's unpredictable, obviously. But I, I, you also have to look at it like I don't think Game Three is as bad as it is. I don't know if the goal, the, the breakaway goal, gets through Rask's legs in Game Two. Like, there's so many little soft. Yeah, goals I mean, it's a different game. It's it's, it's so tough to tell. It's Actually, tough to tell, but but exactly, exactly. But exactly. I do think that uh, I, I do think that they would have had a better shot uh, with Raskin. Now, I do want to kind of discuss what the future of this core is. So after game five, obviously Doc Emmerich gives this long winded thing about Char leaving. I don't know if he says that when not knowing something, I think Doc Emmerich knows something. I do. I don't know. You don't just go on a diatribe like that and have the guy come back the next year, you know? Yeah. And Keith Jones said something on the Krejci goal where they showed the replay. He's like, Zidane Chara here, not wanting his Bruins career to come to an end. But at the same time, it's not like they're in the bubble you know, with these guys, that would make me believe they knew a little bit more than they were letting on, but definitely uh, Emmerich's turn of focus in the handshake line to Chara immediately. Like I watched the Sportsnet video after of the handshake line. They didn't mention Chara at all. So, so for Doc to do that was definitely notable. Maybe he was just watching Chara because I think, you know, Chara has gotten criticized for like six years now for being too slow or old or whatever. And really he hasn't been, but in the bubble, he just wasn't – he didn't have his legs. And I don't know if that's not skating for three months. Like, we know how hard he works. I'm sure he, he did all the squats and one-legged jumps and, and hurdles and everything from, you know, April through July. But maybe at 43, to keep your skating legs fresh, you need to skate. And I don't know that he had access to a rink. I feel like most guys didn't. I don't know if they had connects somehow. Uh, I don't know. If, <laughs> it, 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 it looks like – it looks like his, his skating legs, you know, sort of faded in that stretch, probably the longest stretch he hasn't skated in his life, uh, dating back to his tiny tot years, and, and he wasn't there. So maybe uh, Emmerich was reading the play on the ice and seeing Achara who couldn't keep up and, and was not nearly the impact player that he's been, or maybe maybe there was a little something. But, I mean, the man is 43. He's logged as many minutes as a human being can log. I think he's averaged, what, 22 minutes a game for the last – 14 years and for him to walk away it's not like the Bruins or Chara got shortchanged in that relationship so if it is over uh it's not the worst thing just because you can't really I mean we saw it with Tom Brady and the Patriots it's like how long can this last like at a certain point everything has to end and 43 years old in the NHL as an all situations defenseman it's pretty good pretty good now I will say it's so funny because it feels like he's done, given the broadcast, given the climate uh, in the postgame. Zoom let me throw one out. more. Let me throw one more thing in there at you. Is like, what is next year? Like, what is the 2020-2021 season? So like, that's that. That's my next point. Is this is the perfect time to retire if you're Chara? You're 43. You have a cup. You've done everything you could do. Um, next, you know, you're, we're in a pandemic. Next season's sort of uncertain. Is it going to start uh, November 17th or is it going to be a lot longer? It feels like it's going to probably not start then, if I had to guess. So now would make the most sense to leave. But when you think of Chara, Chara's not like me or you or any normal person. He's not normal. He's a freak. Like, the, Char, this is this kind of situation where Chara would be like, you know, I want to play through this. I want to work out through this and 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 do those one-legged squats uh, and, and all that stuff. So it feels like Charles, like any other player, I think would say, you know what, now's the time to retire. You know, like your average Joe veteran would say, you know what, now's the time to leave. 
I don't think I feel like there's still something in him that makes him want to play more. Now, granted, maybe being in the bubble for this long in the middle of a pandemic makes him think, you know what? Maybe it's time to go home. You know, he doesn't have Giselle at home telling him that he has to quit. So, you know, who, who knows with that? But I, are you I think reporting that? I'm reporting Giselle is not at uh, Zdeno Chara's house. Okay, correct. I just wanted to make sure. Ch- Giselle has not been pushing uh, Zdeno to get off the plant-based diet and to come home and, gotcha. and take care of the kids. Uh, she has not done that to Zdeno Chara. Um, okay. That would be so. She's only hurt one Boston athlete uh, to to get out of here. But the Chara stuff—it's so tough to tell. But it does feel like it's over. And I think that this veteran group—and you saw it last night or uh, on Monday night with Krejci. They know this is coming to an end soon. They know that, you know, Chara might be done. Krug is probably walking in free agency. Tuka Rask could be done. Uh, and he has one year left on his deal. Krejci has a year left on his deal. Bergeron has two years left. This veteran core is dissipating quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, Krug is obviously a loss, but that's still, he's always been a specialist, so to speak, which is, you know, an offensive defenseman. He's, he's a weapon. Uh, he's been a great Bruin. He's been a great leader behind the scenes uh, with the young players. Like he is very important, but it's not necessarily like when I think of the core, I think of Bergeron, Chara. Oh Tracy, yeah. You know, Marchand. even Marchand, because like, that's how far back you can go. Like oh, 10 years is, is a pretty decent chunk and Tuka being a part of that as well. So I, I really think it's just more like a, a look and identity with Char than it is the play though. Don't you? I mean, he was, yes. he was good. He was fine this year. It's not like he was a liability. Uh, he didn't look the same in the bubble. His legs weren't there. Like I mentioned, but working with McAvoy as a top pair, like that was, it, it's still difficult to go against top lines in the NHL and Char could still do it. So you would miss that. And especially at, what did he make? 2 million this year? Uh, that would yeah, be a big loss. One and a half or two. I think it was two with like uh, 1.75 in incentives. I don't know what those details were, but it was cheap money for a guy that still logged 19 plus minutes, worked well with McAvoy. Like that was a valuable. So I think Chara is still the bigger one there for me. The the the, the two centermen, like they'll still be there. Uh, poor Krejci could use a couple wingers. You know, it's it's. We've been saying this for years now. It's sad. I mean, you go back to to the the top line stretch there where we had where he had he had Lucic and Horton and he had Lucic and in again for like the one run he had uh who's his right wing when they went to the 13 finals I'm blanking it obviously wasn't again because they it was Horton. Oh, Yager did he have Yager no Horton was in the 2013 oh, run oh yeah he yeah. got hurt in, he was hurt in 12 he was there in 13 yes anyways point is they were the top line they were buzzing then all of a sudden Pasternak comes on the scene and, and Krejci just just has to sit there and sort of get whoever is left. Um, but I think those guys, you still have a couple of years. I honestly think for the Bruins to look like they looked, and I know you don't agree that they were the best team in hockey this year because the Lightning were better, but for them to come back and just have that dedication and focus after a Game 7 Cup final loss was wildly impressive. And I think, you know, we speak about cliches and, and like, tired sports terms like character and, and everything like that, but like, that takes serious – character to come back I compare it not to do a heavy Patriots Bruins podcast here but I compare it to the Patriots coming back from the Malcolm Butler game in winning a Super Bowl the next year like that doesn't happen teams are usually devastated for at least a year before they sort of build back toward it's like when your heart gets broken Evan and you're afraid to love again 
Um, you just, you, you know, I'm not looking for dating right now. I, I'm just looking to go out and enjoy myself. That's what teams are like after they lose game seven of the Stanley cup finals. But the Bruins didn't mess around this year. Like that's the, that's the biggest loss of the whole NHL being stopped situation is they really were buzzsawing. And like you mentioned earlier, I would have given them a better chance. So that's why Krejci was so sad last night to bring it back to the cores because he's like, he knew it. Martian knew it. Martian was like, man, I thought we were going to go all the way because they were that team. They just weren't once it restarted. And that's, that's a bummer. I mean, there's, there's bigger things during COVID than the Bruins losing their momentum and, and confidence and skill and everything. But uh, it's undeniable that the team that showed up in Toronto wasn't the same team. No, there isn't anything bigger. That, that, that is the biggest. You're right. That's number one. And then it's just like, you know, death. But at first lift. is the de- the death of the Bruins' momentum last season. Next yeah, I mean, is like a hundred thousand people died. You said it, not me. You but said so it not. I, I do think what you said was so interesting, though. In me the too. sense Thank that, you. It, I, yeah, exactly. I think it's so interesting though when you say that it is incredible how focused they were. I mean, you remember like they they started out the year really well. They had a little rough stretch in November, but they you know they carried it, uh, through December and they just were so hot through the entire season. After that terrible devastating no good horrible very bad game seven and I think that is something to celebrate and that is something to look back on fondly when it comes to this team um even though they didn't meet their expectations the fact they kind of I mean you remember this when they lost game seven um and that was devastating they lost it in Boston no one wanted to discuss the Bruins for the entire summer people wanted to forget that it ever happened and they came back in the fall and made themselves watchable again and made people kind of believe in them again. That Hey, you know what? This team, this team's all right. Now it's been a tough ending and, and, and so be it. And I agree. They were not the best team in hockey, um, at least on paper and on the ice wise. But uh, it, that is very true. What you said, they, they did make themselves watchable again and they were a special team. Uh, the other thing that I, I, I wanted to hit on was you mentioned Chara leaving being bigger, not for his play, but for his leadership and character and all that stuff. And, and I agree for the most part, but let's say Char and Krug do both leave. What do you have on the left side on defense? You have Grizzlick, you have Lazan, you have John Moore, you have maybe Jacob you have John Zorro. Moore for like 10 years, right? Yeah, you have John Moore for the rest of eternity. But that, like, you don't have a number one left shot defenseman. Like, Grizz- to me, Grizzlick is not ready to do that. Um, and it's Yeah, like, doesn't it seem like they've, they've kept Grizzlick along as, like, Krug, Light, in, in the event that he eventually leaves, but we know, I mean, Grizzly's an incredible skater and a good puck mover, but I mean, Krug's shot and vision on the power play and just in general is a rare thing. I think we can agree. Like, like, as like, yes. it's not, it's not a knock to say Grizzly isn't Krug because Krug's Krug's skill in that area. He's like, uh, what's his name? Are you an Avengers fan? I'm he's not. Like, he's like the arrow guy. He's like Hawkeye, you know? Hawkeye, yes. Anyone can shoot an arrow, but Hawkeye is good at it. Like that's Krug's with Krug's shot. Like as good as as Grizzlick is at, at, at as an offensive. I mean, I think he's like a figure skater out there. Marvelous to watch skate, but it's it's a rare thing what Krug has, and you definitely will be missing that. Well, I think they're very different players, and they get kind of lumped together because they're both tiny. Uh, and they're both because well, like when Krug's out, Grizzlick fills in on the power play. It's like exactly, it's exactly, like not the same. It isn't. Like, to me, Grizzlick is a guy who's great at zone exits, zone entries, all that stuff. Krug is just an offensive dynamo. Like, there's just, there's points and, you know, incredible passes and, you know, as you said, great shots and great rushes, whereas Grizzlick's kind of a finesse, 
you know, get through the offensive zone, get through the neutral zone into the offensive zone type guy. Uh, but I don't think, you know, if Chara goes, I don't, and also Vakanainen as well could maybe step in there, but he hasn't had enough experience yet to really warrant top four minutes. So you look because at that. Like, you know, well, because like the, the hockey gods want you to have to write Erho Vakanainen and Matt Grizzlick as much as possible. That's that, and that's what's unfortunate. I just, I got Grizzlick down this year. It's, you I had it and like then I lost Grizz it. Dur- yes. I lost it during yes! the, during the break. I struggled during the bubble to write Grizzlick and I'm like, I had this for a solid year and it's gone. It's a damn it, shame. It's a shame. That that might have been the worst part of COVID was forgetting how to spell Matt Grizzlick. One, forgetting how to spell Matt Grizzlick. <laughs> Two, the Bruins losing momentum. Like this is a groundbreaking podcast. No, but um you definitely lose it there. I haven't I haven't gotten to the point where I'm looking at free agents or trades or anything like that. They don't really have I don't know what they have to make a trade to get a, a top pairing defenseman. I don't think anyone has that kind of uh stash these days. I guess the offshoot, uh this has nothing to do with their left left shot defenseman, but the offshoot is Patrice Bergeron would get to wear the C, which has been like on any other team in any other universe, he's been wearing the C for a decade and it would be, you know, it looked cool on him. Uh, well, it would deserved. look cool on him. Yeah. Like that, he's that done would a be, lot to earn it. <laughs> yeah. I know back in like 2010, 2011, everyone wanted to strip the C um, off of the most dependable, durable defenseman, you know, in the game. But uh, this would be a more natural way to hand it over. Maybe even if Chara comes back, he should give it over. That would be cool. Maybe a little ceremony, like uh, instead of like when um when Ray Bork Burks let Esposito yeah. t- took the jersey off, you will have Chara, Chara come out, boom. right oh, off the jersey, put it on like just stick it right on Bergeron's thing, yeah. and then he'll just retire and leave the ice yeah. and wave I have, goodbye. I have uh, completely derailed your point, but like that's what I do. Like yeah, I do my thing. That's okay. I'm thinking about stitch, you know. Velcro C's at this point, but that's uh, innovative point, though. Uh huh. Yeah. To your point, I think uh, people here, and it's not like a knock or an, an insult or anything. People take things for granted when you have it for so long and that's elite goaltending. And that's the defensive play of Char. Cause like I said, he's still going up against top lines. He's still neutralizing some of the best threats in the game. And I'm not saying he did that in the bubble because he didn't. Um, it's, it's not something you can just hit a button and push someone up from the second pairing or third pairing. And it, and it works out. There's, it's really hard to do. Um, it's, 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 it looks easy when someone does it for so long looking, you know, like they're not trying, which Chara has because he's humongous and very talented and knows what he's doing. He doesn't even um, go into corners anymore. <laughs> he doesn't have to, he just, he knows exactly what, he knows how it's coming up, but yeah, definitely. I think the flip side of that is, you know, you could say going into corners. He didn't retrieve pucks as well. The the zone exits were more difficult, I think, when he was going to get it because guys were catching up to him. Four checks were getting on him. Pucks weren't getting out. So I think maybe the flip side is that maybe it does improve your five-on-five offense a little bit if you get the right guy in there. But there's no – I think the Bruins are ultimately better if Zdeno Char comes back and is Zdeno Char next year. Um but with all the uncertainty, I don't know that like what like there's probably not gonna be a preseason. There's probably not gonna be all that. It's it's gonna be weird and it's gonna be hard. So I wouldn't be surprised if life without Char begins whenever and however next season starts. I would agree with you, Michael. Uh, before you go, is there anything you would like to plug? Oh boy. Um, you know, no, no, nothing. Nothing. I've never nothing. done anything worthwhile. I I mean, it's okay. I, I would, you know, I'm on Twitter. You can check that out if you want. It's it's Michael F. Hurley. The F is for failure. Um, it's not for everyone, though. So I'll just I'll say that straight up. But um, 
the good news, I guess, if there is a good thing, is from a Boston sports perspective, the the, the train keeps rolling. The Celtics look the opposite of the Bruins in their bubble. They look like unbeatable yes. <laughs> in their bubble, and that will carry us right into football season, which is somehow happening. Uh, if you ask that. me in July, yeah, like that is zero point zero percent chance. I was like, they're gonna try it. They're gonna open camps. Everyone's gonna get sick, and then they're gonna have to shut it down. I don't know how they're pulling it off so far, but it looks like it's going to happen better than baseball. I think baseball was like the sacrificial lamb in the non-bubble professional sports, and it was. football's taking it seriously. I think they take their money seriously in that league, so they've they've really locked down. So football season is a very interesting prospect, so we'll be covering that uh, extensively. Unfortunately, I was I was ready for a long Bruins run. I know you were as well. I think I everyone was. was. It's You know, you had to face Tampa. Like you said, you had to face Tampa at some point, and whether – you know, maybe if they win game two in overtime, it's a, it's a whole different shape. I, a whole I would, different series. Whole different I, series. I would encourage people to not get overly down on the Bruins and say they're hopeless and they were miles apart from the Lightning because the end result looks like they were. But when you have two overtime games, a bounce off a shin pad, it's a, it's a whole different thing. And that's how hockey works sometimes. Uh, I think it's, it's disappointing they didn't get farther. But – the fact that they got where they did and still have enough pieces to do it again, it's it's it they they remain relevant and interesting, uh, which is something I didn't guarantee for this year, like we talked about earlier. Another season, another year of no Bruins hockey getting to September. What a disappointment this franchise has been for so many years. Uh, did it get to September though? How late did the game? It ended before that was a seven o'clock start. Yeah, it almost got that, to September though. So close. And in, in, in hockey, it's like when uh, the. 2001, when the Yankees played in November, Derek Jeter got Mr. November. You could you could deem, like, Andre Palat Mr. August. That'll be, like, yeah. his nickname forever. Mr. As August. you said that, Palat just got another grade-A chance against Halak and didn't score somehow. Didn't score. But he Incredible. hit, like, a random tip. It went 70 what feet up tip. in the air. Went back in. Uh, uh, just, now, now I'm rambling, but when that goal went in, I'm like, people gamble on this sport? Like, are you kidding me? You put your heart <laughs> in like, on this sport? That is what I say. Hockey is the worst sport to gamble on because it's, it's like, Bruins deserve to win that game. They lost it's them, like so. pinball. Like, yeah, I'm going to gamble on this it pinball game. It Anyways. absolutely is. Michael, thank you for joining. Uh, as always, we'll have you on next year when the Bruins maybe uh, <laughs> win the Stanley Cup, don't make the playoffs, lose in the playoffs. Uh, but again, uh, thank you for joining on for CLNS Media. I'm Evan Marinovsky. You Bruins be listeners. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah.